0: Hello and welcome to Quality Blether, the Scottish testing group podcast where you don't have to be Scottish or a tester to have quality conversations about quality. I'm your host, Brian Jones, and my guest this episode is Paul Gerrard, an internationally renowned and award-winning figure in the world of testing and software engineering. He was involved in the original ISEB Testing Foundation curriculum, hosted the Technology Leadership Forum has spoken at hundreds of events, conferences and webinars, been a major conference chair twice and is truly a thought leader in this field. So, hello, Paul. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, sir. Nice to uh, chat to you again. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to be having a good chat again. Um, So, I was thinking that uh, anybody listening to this podcast probably won't know about your history unless they've heard several of your talks. So would you like to just give a, a quick five-minute pricey of how you got from doing a degree in mechanical engineering to the elevated heights that you're at now as being the uh, testing uh, superstar?
1: Uh, well, I did... Well, shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I did do a, a degree in engineering. It was kind of general engineering. It was a bit of everything. Engineering science, it was actually uh, called at the time. Uh, And then I did an MSc in concrete structures, which I was was going to be a structural engineer, civil engineer. Uh, But almost on the first day of my first job, the uh, partner in the office said, we've got no work for you uh, to do. uh, But here's a computer. Here are the manuals. Go and have a play and tell us what we can do with it in the engineering office. So kind of my fate was almost sealed on that day. Uh, So I, I did do some engineering, I have to say but for uh, a couple of years uh, mostly i spent i uh, was my time writing software anyway from there i went into what would then have been called a a a, a kind of a systems integrator for uh, not very long i wasn't very happy there uh, and then i got into uh, the telecoms business through mercury communications and if you recall uh, when bt when the when the telecoms uh, business was um, uh what's the word uh deregulated um uh, i worked for the competitor to bt uh and i started there i think there were about 200 on the payroll when i left i think there were twelve thousand, something crazy um so i had a great fun about seven years basically writing code uh, uh for customer service systems kind of stuff uh eventually uh being a project manager there uh, and from there i uh went into testing um it was kind of an accidental thing. Uh, the last job I did at, at Mercury was to i actually wrote a test strategy, never having written a test strategy in my life. Uh, and I got most of the information f- for it from uh, Boris Beiser's book, uh, Software Test Techniques, the uh, unit testing kind of Bible. If Very you like. good book. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, guy, the guy I worked for said, I've never seen as good a test strategy in my career. <laughs> so I have, to, I have to pick the right bits. Uh, it was complete. Um, uh, I, I did some thinking, but mostly it was lifted from that. But anyway, from then on, I, the next job I got was uh, in, in testing for a boutique uh, consulting firm called System Evolutif back in the day. And this would be early 90s. Um, and I've been in that business ever since. Uh, I went, uh, I kind of um, worked for and then ran Evolutif until the mid 2000s and then uh Got my own kind of company together, Gerard Consulting, and I've been working in that uh, kind of format since 2016, 17, that kind of period. Doing um, the usual thing, you know, um, some testing, yeah, some test management, yeah. Uh, Lots of test strategy, lots of coaching, mentoring, training, um, do a lot of conference work. Uh, I have in the past, I'm not doing quite so much now, Uh, obviously because COVID kind of intervened a little bit. um, And written a few books as well in the meantime. So I've kind of done a bit of everything. Um, I try and stay ahead of the game and talk about things that uh, are coming up uh, and I'm paying quite a lot of attention to a couple of things. Uh, possibly the most important one is the skills idea and the uh, society, which I'm sure we can talk about in a minute, uh, but also uh, AI and, and where that's going uh, for our, uh, in our world. Um, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I think it's the first thing to say, <laughs> don't believe all the hype. But then again, it is, it is exciting, but it's exciting. And it's a bit of a uh, also a roller coaster ride at the moment in that there's so many uh, moving parts and things that uh, we haven't got our, our, our heads around, not as users. Maybe the academics have, but we were catching up slowly. Uh, that's the other thing. So I'm I'm looking at AI as well. That's my kind of future, uh, forward thinking kind of uh, ideas thing, which is a bit of a bit of fun. But I, there's a very serious side to it. I think it it, it will impact us as, as an industry. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, and those are both topics that I'm really interested to talk to you about at some point. So, um, last time I spoke to you last this time last year at the Euristar, you said you were retiring. And then next you know, thing, I,
1: I, I think I've maybe had a few drinks.
0: <laughs> I think maybe you had. But uh, next thing I hear from you is that you're wanting to set up um, an institute for testers, so that testers can become chartered engineers and yeah. recognised as proper engineers. Now, yeah. what prompted that? What's what's your thinking well, behind that?
1: Yeah, um, I think it must have been the drink speaking when I said I was retiring. I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, working as hard. Uh, and I'm not kind of banging the drum as much to try and market myself in that way. However, I'm still obviously still active and, and probably working mostly on uh, this thing, which I'll call the test engineering uh, society. Now, what is it? It's for years and years. And for as long as I can remember, 25 years plus, people have been talking about how do we make uh, testing, test engineering, quality engineering, this kind of you know QA these these kind of roles how can we make it into what we'd call a profession and the general consensus is we are closer to an engineering kind of discipline engineering profession than than other things let's say Mm -hmm. and uh there's a challenge because we're not kind of organized enough there was a lot of debate and uh not always pleasant debate across our business about how we should do the job we call testing uh, but that doesn't remove the fact that I think it would be beneficial to, to have a, an engineering discipline and, if you like, recognition for, for what we do. Now, of course, that comes with uh, responsibilities and, you know, uh, it has to come with experience and so on. But essentially, if you look at the other engineering profession, professions, the larger uh, and the better known professions, uh, Institute of Civil Engineers, Institute of Mechanical Engineers, Institute of Electrical Engineers, uh, and the BCS uh, is part of this game, um, perhaps more of that later. Um, uh, there's a process you go through. There's a series of qualifications you have to go through. So if I had become a civil engineer uh, you know, for my career, uh, ultimately, it would have taken about seven years to do some uh, work in the uh, drawing office for a couple of years. Probably then to go out on site and take part in maybe do some low level supervision of some project work on site. Mm -hmm. Um, might have been a water scheme or hydroelectric scheme back in the day when I was uh, involved with the company I was, and then maybe come back into the office and take a more senior role on a project and to own a project to project manage and stuff like that. So it would be a kind of a seven year journey, and in that journey. Um, you'd have to produce evidence that you're doing the right thing. And your employers would encourage you very strongly to do this because, practically, you can't practice in these engineering disciplines without being chartered. At any rate, after about seven years, you'd uh, uh, acquire this, this, this label of chartered engineer. Now, that's critical for some things like civil engineering in particular, Because it's kind of a safety-critical activity. You know, people's lives depend on the quality of work that goes into bridges and buildings and schools and everything else that gets built on the planet. Now, shouldn't we be in that same game? Shouldn't test engineers, let's call them, shouldn't test engineers be on that same journey towards professionalism and professional recognition uh, with a view to establishing... Credibility for for sure for our employers and for our clients, if we're consultants, um, to try and stabilize the the um, not stabilize is the wrong word, but to try and establish a framework for what, you know, if you're if you're hiring a test engineer, you know what you're going to get. You know, and if they are um an engineering technician, which is kind of the lowest level, it's not a low level, it's the lowest of the three levels. Uh, an incorporated engineer or a chartered engineer you know what you're going to get and there should be a definition of the capabilities of this uh individual um which has been validated by a professional body that has credibility and is licensed to grant uh the um uh the postnominals, you know the letters after your name uh you know c eng is chartered engineer so that was been that was talked about. I remember having conversations at Eurostars, for example, in like the mid '90s about this, and uh, several people uh, put proposals out and said, "Well, this is how perhaps we could move in this in this direction as an industry, as a you know, as a discipline, let's say." Uh, people who were prominent there was uh, uh, Isabel Evans in particular and, and and myself, and I think Dorothy Graham did some work. Uh, and we all tried to promote this idea of let's work a bit harder and get our act together in some ways as a profession and make some progress in becoming a profession. Now, OK, so that's some ancient history. Um, in the meantime, ISTQB came along and it promotes itself as a uh, sort of professional certifications, let's say, but it's not. It, it's it's really all about certification, about um, doing training, sitting uh, exams, mostly. I think still multiple choice, getting certificates, and bingo, you've got an ISTQB qualification. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, except that's not by a long way the whole story. Um, so there's disappointment in that we haven't made progress in this area, even though the certification schemes have become very, very popular. You know, I don't know, well over a million now, I think, have been uh, uh, awarded. So about three years ago, it was just pre-COVID, let's say, um, I, I looked a bit more seriously on how we might do this, make, make, make progress in this area. Uh, and do do interrupt me, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I yeah, I can talk for England. I know. You mean if I can get a word in edge yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so please, please interrupt me if you want me to to either stop or talk about something else. Uh, talk, talk about something a bit more, in a bit more detail. But anyway, um, what I did was about three and a half years ago. I think it was because it was pre-COVID. Um, I uh, looked actually. Well, okay. Well, how do the Institute of Civil Engineers, Electrical Engineers, uh, and so on. Um, actually, operate. Now, what's happened in the last I don't know twenty years or so since I thought uh, seriously about getting involved as a civil engineer? What's happened is there's a an entity called the Engineering Council, which oversees, I think, thirty three or four professional engineering institutions. And what it does, it's it sets a kind of a, an overall framework, let's say for the skills and experience for professional engineers to attain chartered status, chartered engineer, but also there's a, if you like, chartered engineer is probably uh, someone with 10 years experience, seven to 10 years experience. The next level down would be incorporated engineer. That might be sort of four, five, six, seven years experience. And then an engineering technician, the third level, is for someone who's got two, three years experience and and is is basically a practitioner, you know, but may not have much uh, supervisory or leadership um, kind of experience, that kind of thing. Anyway, how does it work? Uh, What the Engineering Council have done is they've set a framework uh, looking at five areas of experience that need to be assessed and compared with um, this template, if you like, this target uh, attainment, if you like, uh, in order to uh, achieve registration you know to get your registration, you know, chartered engineer or whatever. And uh it's very well defined. Um we can talk about the content, whatever. It's in five areas. One is kind of the technical area, you know, you should know your the tech the technicalities of your job, you know, software testing, let's say. You should also have experience of uh doing some thought leadership, uh problem solving, uh, analysis, more senior design activities like say a test lead activities on a larger project i i guess uh then there's the the whole uh gamut of interpersonal skills that are required which clearly have a uh, huge merit and increasing merit as we as time goes on we recognize that uh communication skills are absolutely paramount in what we do and in software engineering in general uh it's not paid enough attention i think testers probably Recognize it more than most because we have to talk to almost everybody in projects to make progress. Uh, so I was asked three? Um, there's leadership, obviously. Um, the chartered engineer is expected to be a, a middle kind of management kind of role, maybe like a project manager kind of level, or certainly a, a, um, um, a report to a senior project manager on a larger project. So leadership is is the fourth one and the fifth one is a bit of a catch-all but it's essentially um uh, ethical standards to adhere to ethical standards a commitment to uh continuous professional uh, development you know to continually learn to improve and to keep your skills up to date uh, and so on so those are the five key areas and only one of them is is what you'd recognise as the straightforward testing skills that ISTQB are, you know, obviously supporting, yeah. uh, depending on uh, how you view them, uh, to a greater or lesser degree. Let's say, uh, so there's a much broader uh, skills base now. This 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 overall framework is by and large adopted by 33 institutions in the UK, who and many of them operate internationally as well as just the UK, and. Uh, in some cases, certainly the technical side of things has to be adapted a little bit to fit each you know, industry because civil engineering is different from mechanical from software. Uh, so that's a natural thing to have to do. Um, and each institution is licensed to grant um um the reg- you know, to register people at these various levels, you know, these postnominal letters of chartered engineer, incorporated engineer, etc. Uh, in order to do that, they have to be credible as an organisation to have people who can assess, you know, um, with, um, you know, to do, do the professional assessment accurately. Uh, the institution are also expected to uh, run training uh, and support of individuals who are on this kind of journey. And the expectation also is it should be a community thing. They should be running events uh, uh, both educational and, and you know, if you like, uh, that, that support, uh, the learning of people, but also associated activities. So, you know, uh, events might uh, cover things that that are of national importance. So, so things in the news. You know, so software gets into the news usually for bad reasons rather than good reasons. So, you yeah. know, there might be events, events like that. You know, to discuss. So the, the, the post office um, uh, saga that's been going on for I don't know how many years now 25 years I think now
0: yeah scary uh, the
1: major challenge to how this industry actually operates so and testers you know may or may not have been involved and may or may not be to blame because it seems to be a management failure overall but it's relevant very relevant to the way we operate uh, as an ethical uh, discipline in that industry so Things like that. So so if you like the institution has to have credibility as a community, but also to provide educational services, training and support, coaching, mentoring, that kind of thing, as well as uh doing the assessments. It's not just a box ticking uh kind of process,
0: let's say. Okay, I I can definitely agree with the necessity for the recognition, both professionally and the, the, the chartered side, especially considering I've had a lot of experience in the safety critical area, that that aspect of actually being recognised to be responsible for people's lives and yeah. being professional in that. But to play devil's advocate, you can get CENG through BCS.
1: Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, you can do. Uh, but the, the, I'd say that's good. But they're not looking at software testing in particular they are more looking at uh software practitioners in the round and i think i mean i know a few people who've gone through that process who've you know they've paid their dues and they maintain it and they don't see a lot of value in it because the bcs doesn't promote it uh substantially as a um as a beneficial thing to the industry you know, it's kind of, it's almost kind of a, an aside. I mean, the BCS is spread so thin on other things uh, that it, I don't think it, they're giving it uh, the attention that perhaps it should deserve. That's one thing. The other thing is, is historically, um, I think we have all found in our business that the BCS don't focus very much on tougher testing in, the, in their own. And that they may, I think all the disciplines within software would probably have the same complaint in there it's the computer society software you know the professional software engineer society for sure but there's there's 20 disciplines embedded in there and i know they um try and account for this with things like the what's it called the sfa the um sfia which is the definition of all the kind of skills areas for various roles yeah. But it's huge, and it's also for everybody. And it's like, well, and it's also not that appropriate, you know, for a lot of people who are working in our know, business. So, you know, I, I okay, and, and I don't want to be too critical of them because I think they, they, they're they spread a little bit thin across all the disciplines that are involved in software. Uh, but they've not been very effective, in my experience, with uh, what we've tried to do in the past. And as I should say that I got involved with uh, the Information Systems Examination Board (ISEB), which was independent of the BCS, uh, when I got involved with it in 1996, I think it was five or six, 96, I think it was, um, and it was absorbed into the BCS. And it just wasn't agile. Let's let's use that word. You know, uh, the agility just disappeared. So it was not a private. It was it was kind of a a public body. Uh, you know, like a, a iscb was um i think a a charity or a a, a company limited by guarantee i can't remember this is 25 years ago now Um, Mm -hmm. but uh it kind of lost its agility if you like when it got absorbed into the bcs because it it got drawn into all because the bcs has several um different regimes of training and certification you know there are several areas now. I think that's been tidied up a little bit, but even so, it's a bit—it's like dealing with um, a bureaucracy. It, it, there's no other word for it. And I—I I, I was very frustrated when I was involved with them, I have to say. And that was a long time ago, and I'm not, I know it's moved on, but even so, it's still got a very broad, general focus rather than specific to one industry. And I think we need more attention than than the BCS can give us to make progress. It's be, my is
0: my kind of response. To be more recognized as testing professionals rather than as software professionals.
1: Well I think well I think uh that's the other thing in that um there's not many things that don't have software in it nowadays. So so you know the people who test uh oh I don't know um electric toothbrushes you know probably think themselves of electric toothbrush testers But uh, set aside the mechanical side of that, there's software in there nowadays, and there's software in all these little handheld devices, you know, that that we use. And also in almost every very large-scale device, you know, from an electric toothbrush to an aircraft carrier, for heaven's sakes, you know, which is a massive systems of systems of systems, you (laughs) know. And it's all very dependent on software. And a lot of the testing that's done isn't... isn't, necessarily focus on the software but we all know the software is a potentially the riskiest area mm-hmm. of uh these mechanical systems let's say so. because they're immensely complex so i so i i think we need a i think there is a there's a justification for saying that we need something specific to people who test stuff and i think the definition of a test engineer that as i i'm putting to you today would be it's people who test software or stuff that is highly dependent on software, or they use software to test, and I think that covers everything we need, and which is basically most things on the planet now.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> um, have you have you actually got a toothbrush that's uh, Bluetooth connected? Because I know they exist.
1: <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I did have one. I've never used it. I mean, I, I really, really don't see the point of it. Anyway, but it was kind of one of these things, like the Internet of Things, a few years ago, when that was. Uh, the hot topic everything got connected you think well why why do I need a connection between my toothbrush and this little device which then connects to my phone I mean really (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so there's I mean yeah don't get me wrong I mean there's probably is value in some of these things uh and health health devices you know like in the bathroom I've got a set of scales that connect to my phone which you know it measures I don't know what uh what is it
0: Body fat percentage it weighs, it weighs, weight. It, yeah. it weighs
1: me, it tells me my um, what's what's the what's the number? I can't even I don't pay much attention. BMI. Yeah, BMI, that kind of thing. Uh and also, you know, how much water is in your body and how much fat, you know, yeah, the proportion of fat in your body. Yeah, I'm I'm not in a good place with my body at the moment. But anyway, um, yeah, these things all need testing, don't they? And 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 almost every every mode of transport now is totally dependent on software. It's all fly by wire. Uh, Cars, self-driving cars, that's coming. Aeroplanes for many years have depended on software. Uh, I mean, almost every aspect of our daily life is is dependent on software. And I mean, who knows what the proportion of um, budgets go on testing compared with um, the whole cost of a development of of a system. But most developers spend most of their time testing. And they probably don't like doing it, but but they do. They probably test more than testers, I think. you know. So most of the industry are spending most of their time, or let's say up to half their time, which is a huge amount of effort, on this thing we call testing. So shouldn't we recognise that as a, a discipline that career testers have to uh, uh, you know excel at and be recognised at, but also developers? I think developers would benefit from... Uh, being recognised that they do uh, a remarkable job in testing their software, um, so it, it's it's it, it's a tricky one, you know. I mean, are we are we an industry or are we part of an industry? If we're part of an industry, we're never going to get separate recognition very easily. Uh, and and I don't know what to be honest. Um, if you're a business analyst. This is probably going to offend some people, but what the hell. If you're a business analyst, is the business analyst getting a qualification from the BCS more or less valuable than an engineer getting uh, uh, the registration or the chartered status from uh, an engineering institution? I mean, you can't, you know, it's very hard to judge, you know, the, the value to society in this way. And I, I don't think that's something we should pay too much attention to. but um it 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 seems to me that software is important enough uh, and the testing of it and the assurance of it important enough that the people doing it uh, should be recognized, you know, and mm-hmm. good practices should also be recognized and standards i know are a very moot moot area and i'm not promoting standards or whatever someday we'll have i think uh potentially some standards that are more let's say uh appropriate to a lot of the jobs that are not safety critical you know um i think but we're not going to make progress in that area until we establish ourselves as a profession and people take that seriously that you have to maintain standards in the broadest sense yeah so, so
0: um i think just about everybody listening to this is going to agree with you that we need to be recognized we should be recognized because we've been arguing for that for decades so when can we actually expect to see this fledgling test uh engineering society appear uh,
1: uh i think its first incarnation will be this summer um so let's say the next three months uh hoping to uh i mean where i'm at uh with with uh with colleagues is uh we've set up the entity now we have a, a business entity called a society uh you can't actually call it an institution until it's kind of established there's a kind of a uh, of kind of a rule within companies house that you can't set up a company as an institution directly it's got to be renamed into an institution once it's established anyway that's like that's a kind of an aside uh, got the company off the ground. Um, uh, we're building a website which is, um, let's say, modelled on uh, one of the other institutions, uh, not the BCS because that's too broad, because we're trying to focus very much on the engineering activity within, within this business. Um, there'll be a uh, uh, substantial organogram required if you look at it this thing in five years time there'll probably be three or four um essential uh, board uh or commit boards or committees there's a board of trustees which will oversee the thing as a whole and be accountable for the finance. They are the ones who will be liable, uh, not for a large sum of money, but, you know, so be it. And then there'll be, uh, I'm not going to name the boards because we haven't got that far, but the, there'll be an operational board that takes over overall oversight, and that will have uh, uh, some directors involved, and there will be uh, co-opted and elected members, potentially. So there could be 20 or 30 people on that, on that group. Um, then there'll be a likely to be a uh, registration and membership uh, kind of board, which looks after the administration of of all the schemes. And then there's an educational side of it. There's the training, mentoring, whatever. And that's probably a separate board as well. And and each one will have a group of individuals, you know, six, eight, 10, maybe uh, individuals who oversee that aspect. So it's, 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 the whole idea of it is it's meant to be community driven. So there'll be a lot of people involved in it. And a lot of the uh, activities that people undertake and the services that are provided will be done on the basis of uh, either volunteers or people who get paid for their time. But it's not something that you could make a uh, long-term career out of it it's like um we're going to rely on experienced people who have some time to spare because they want to broaden their um uh, perspectives if you like in their the second half of their career let's say
0: okay so it sounds uh, great I, that it'll be a, a community based thing and be driven by the community
1: we've no choice we've no choice i mean that's how uh, it also sounds oh terribly bureaucratic well there's a risk i yeah i get that but uh, it's how the institutions, you know, the um, the Institute of Engineering Technology, which is one of the institutions, uh, has uh, 100 and, oh I don't know, well over 100,000 members. You know, so it's a substantial membership, and that's quite a it, it's a it's a medium-sized business. So, uh, and it also it's dealing with all, all sorts of uh, engineering disciplines, kind of that. Uh, a lot of them don't fit into the traditional electrical, mechanical, civil, da, da, da. Uh, a lot of software uh, businesses there as well, uh, uh, software people uh, in, in that space as well. So uh, it, it has what you'd recognise as a pretty complicated organogram of these various boards and committees and working parties and whatever. But that's kind of how it is. Uh, the challenge we've got in our world is to try and uh, establish credibility and try and keep things kind of fairly lean um so th- that's going to be one of the challenges that we have not okay. to have uh 47 chiefs and three indians <laughs> so, <laughs> like so,
0: so maybe in in three months time we can drag you back in and go right where are we <clears throat> uh
1: yeah uh, you can hold me to that uh so three months would be uh uh, june july august september so mid-september uh fifth of september yeah maybe
0: <laughs> sounds like oh, a date
1: no no maybe i uh, definitely um uh, i i think what i'm trying to say is i'm not we've not got a fixed date on, on on doing certain things because right now i'm talking to people like yourself to uh engage with them and say look do you think this is a good idea would you would you like to be involved in it would you like to take advantage of it with you and your teams and, and so on and so forth um do you would you publicly uh, support it not not financially but just to say this is a good thing and you know and so on so what we're trying to do at the moment is build consensus and, and build a um uh, if you like some interim uh boards that for a year will operate as interim boards but after a year uh the procedures that we've now got written up um will be used to elect people to those positions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's a bit of a bootstrapping exercise. So for a year, it would be in a kind of a start-up mode, a uh, substantial number of people involved. But uh, the expectation is within a year, we'd have to start working to the procedures that the other institutions uh, kind of hold to, such as like this whole one member, one vote. So every member has a vote for the elections to people to these positions quite often. Uh, not not everything but um uh, mostly so the whole idea is it is a kind of a democratic um uh cooperative almost you know where every individual who is a member has a say uh in the uh membership of 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 uh committees uh, boards that kind of stuff uh,
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: the kind of goal that's the general kind of direction of travel um it's not um as easy as it sounds, it's not easy at all, I have to say, uh, to actually get your head around how all this is going to work because you need quite a few people coordinated on, on two or three different boards to suddenly be up and running. And that's going to take a little bit of, um, well, a lot of communication. And so to the launch, I would expect to have in the next three months for sure, Um, But there'll be a lot of interim kind of stuff and putting pieces in place. And it will take at least a year to get um, the operational side sort of settled, bedded bedded in. I I can see in five years time, I can see this organisation having a staff of eight or 10 people. It would have, uh, in terms of the board membership and, and working parties, whatever, 35, 40 people involved. You know, that's kind of the scale of it. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got to get a lot done in a short time to make that happen.
0: So you're going to be very busy.
1: Well, potentially, yes. <laughs> so- <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to do it, and it's a not-for-profit. And that's the other thing. So we have to find uh, some income streams pretty quick. Um, uh, and, again, that's a challenge. I mean, I think we know how to do that. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. You know, That's okay. probably more than I probably overstating where i think we are but you can see it's it's a
0: it's a quite a sizable challenge ever optimistic i I am i am so there's there's something that you mentioned several times whilst we've been talking and that's skills and training yeah um now you and me both we have a slightly different view of the skill set and the training to what is generally purported to be a tester's Training courses yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and one of the ones that you've expounded on, uh, which interests me greatly is modeling, especially the way that testers use modeling. Mm-hmm. you want know, just a very quick explanation of of how you see that working. I know you've got videos on that which I'll put links to uh,
1: okay hmm. uh, well if if you like, what testers do is they will look for sources of knowledge, as I would call them which might be a requirements document, they might be user stories, they might be the old system, they might be uh, word of mouth, doodles on whiteboards. Yeah, the usual thing. In order to figure out what the system should do before you test it, you need to gather knowledge. Quite often, that knowledge is incomplete. Quite often, there are kind of conflicts in that knowledge, in that definition, that spec, if you like. Uh, And so the testers should pay attention to try and identify where there are risks in the uh the definition the spec requirements whatever we call them uh, but also try and assist in, in improving them and pointing out problems and conflicts and uh, anomalies and ambiguities and the usual thing now so that's that now in order to understand what the system does we could write a we could write a model we could write down a flow chart or any of the models that you might recognize from UML, or whatever, there's dozens of ways of writing models, you know. Um, but let's say we don't write anything down. What we do in our heads is we build mental models. And those mental models are how we understand what a system should do. And from that same mental model, we can derive things to test. Because uh, the, the model, um, uh, if you like, describes how the system behaves in ways that we can make predictions you know so one of the essential things of having a a definition or requirement whatever is it's we need an oracle which will tell us what the system should do and when and in what circumstance uh whatever the level of detail of that when it comes to designing tests we have to have that mental model to work from now it might be some of these models are written down so it could be that we have a flow chart or a sequence diagram or a um State transition model, or whatever, you know, uh, and all these, there's thousands of different uh, formats of these models. Uh, having something written down can be really helpful to us, but a lot of the time we don't get into that level of detail. So people in agile teams probably don't have uh, documentation that sets out the flows of execution through our systems. So the tester somehow has to figure it out. And how they do it is mental modeling. Now they may not accept or may not admit to doing modelling, but they are. Uh, when you think and you're trying to understand things, you'll make, your brain is building mental models. And I think one of the things that we don't teach enough and we don't pay enough attention to is this skill that is called modelling that we do either mentally or when we do it graphically or nowadays more and more we're getting into the realm of using tools to build models and to generate tests. At any rate, the common factor is how we think about models. And so my, what I've been banging on about somewhat the last 10 years or maybe 12 years is we should pay more attention to modelling and not necessarily how you document stuff or which tool you use, but much more about how you think. And so I'm, well, I'm pretty certain the skills of testing are primarily thinking skills. You know, how we, um Uh, critical thinking, and judge whether a requirement is good enough, let's say. Uh, We need modelling skills. We need some analytical analysis skills to derive uh, tests from models, but also to understand coverage in a more insightful way than just saying, here's a list of requirements, here's a list of tests one-to-one. That's good enough. It's never good enough that way. So to me, the skills we should be teaching are thinking skills primarily, interpersonal skills to communicate, you know, to get information out of people, out of, out of uh, systems as well, and communicating what you do to stakeholders, to get their buy-in, to share what you've learned so they can make decisions and so on. Um, and everything else is, 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 is logistics in my world, in my brain. Now, logistics are a necessary evil dare i say so we need tools to run tests yeah we need tools to we need uh, processes to follow to capture content and document it in certain ways in some environments we need a procedure for managing incidents observations bugs defects whatever you want to call them and so on and so forth but these aren't testing these are logistical things that we have to have in place and i think if you can think straight you can make much better judgments about what logistical support you need, whether you need processes or tools or um,
0: procedures, all that kind of stuff. So what would you say is the best way of learning these modeling skills that uh, we need? Um, Well,
1: I mean, I think there's a bit of insight as to what modeling actually is, but that's that's a half hour, okay? (laughs) Uh, I think we need to practice these skills. I think we need to understand how we think and choose models. Because uh, in some in some circumstances, the model could be a flow chart, sure. Uh, it could be a um, a data model. It could be an entity lifecycle model. It could be a sequence diagram. And so we need to be capable of making choices of how we think about the problem. And some models, you know, there's, there's the old saying, all models are wrong, some are useful. I mean, we've got to make the right choices about what models We go for and then how much detail we go into to get the value we need because you can get the whole was it paralysis by analysis by going too deeply into some 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 issues of course we need to have a judgment that says uh this model is going to be most helpful for me to understand the problem but to communicate what i'm doing to my stakeholders so you know if my stakeholders are business people their model is the business process, essentially, and maybe some reconciliations across systems, and probably a few other things. There may be some uh, spreadsheet that is absolutely the, the, the font of all knowledge for certain things. You know, <laughs> those are, those are the models. You know, yeah. and so if I go off and say, well, I'm going to do code coverage by testing every line of code, that has no relevance to the business stakeholders. So I've got to choose. Typically, I'll choose the models that the business are already aware of. Of or we have to negotiate a format of a model that we can share and they can explain what they need and what they're worried about and I can demonstrate how I test and how I achieve a level of coverage that will give confidence
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so that's why models are so important they are fundamental to the conversations we have not just the act of designing and running tests mm, nice
0: so, nice little summary
1: well yeah well you know i I've I've been thinking about this for 30 years. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I've probably never put it as well as I just did. But anyway, uh, you, you see where I'm coming from. Uh, and and I I think put, I, my attitude now is I tell everybody, put models at the heart of everything. And the way we think, there's a model for that as well. And you've obviously seen that and you know a bit about it. Um, uh, how we think, I think it's critical. How we use models in our brains and how we make progress is critical. And if we can get a hand a handle on how we think and how we do use models and use models well uh, everything else is kind of easier don't get me wrong i'm not saying tools are easy i'm not saying test design is easy but they become slightly more mechanical you know they become more um, you know it's it's like you know in your bones you know, how to do things. It yeah. becomes more instinctive and you can operate in a more humane way rather than just saying, I've got a spreadsheet, I'm going to fill it up with stuff. Well, yeah, there's that's no human kind of contact there. There's no human kind of recognition. or
0: It becomes a tacit thing rather than a, a yeah. procedurised.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. But, but also you use it to communicate to other people. I think that's the most important thing. And your stakeholders all have different... uh uh, requirements typically uh, business stakeholders have one view, technical architects have another view, developers have another view. Developers are stakeholders just the same. They don't want business flowcharts, they want uh, to see uh, lines of code paths through uh, decision making in the code. And you know, that's they're, they're operating at a different level, so their models are different. And if you're testing at a technical level, you've got to adopt their their models, you know, their thought patterns, mm-hmm. which are, um, you know, doodles on lines of on code listings potentially. <laughs> so that's the skill. And it's a big, it's a big ask to get yeah. people to do this. It is.
0: Um, going back to, again, training, knowledge, skills, and the community aspect of that. Um, I also noticed that you're kicking off the, um, the technology leadership forum again.
1: Uh, I am. Uh, well, I yes. Let me qualify that. Um, it, it kind of paused when COVID came along, uh, and it was. Uh, it's kicked. It started off in two thousand and four as a test management forum, and, and I know you've been to some of them, you know. And uh, it kind of evolved. For, we run it for about twelve years or so, and then we thought well, test managers were getting picked off by agile. Projects and like test managers are left high and dry almost and say, well, what's my role in an agile project? Probably not a lot. So a lot of test managers left test management testing completely. Some went back to being testers. Some and so, okay, that's all ancient history. So we kind of renamed it the Assurance Leadership Forum to try and give it a more um wide-ranging view of, of, of quality test engineering, dealing with stakeholders, a kind of more senior perspective, let's say. Uh, and not many people kind of got, got the hang of what assurance was, and it, it kind of slightly, um, what's the word, conflicted with people's view of quality assurance, which in the UK, that's testing. Uh, sorry, in the in the US, that's testing. Over here, quality control is what we would regard as test and so on and so on. But it, it caused some confusion. So then we kind of made it a bit more broad and called it the Technology Leadership Forum, and it was more... Uh it was more wide-ranging than just testing. That was the thing. COVID came along, we stopped running it. Uh and uh I've been remiss and not sort of telling people what I think is going to happen to it. Um but Jack Cole of um uh, uh oh gosh, I've got his company now. Not WeWork. Is it WeWork? I can't remember. I've forgotten the name of his company. I do apologize. Uh Jack Cole works for a recruitment business and he's very keen to um, get it back off the ground. Uh, he was involved in sponsoring us uh, a couple of times uh, a few years ago, uh, and he's got a lot of energy and he's and he's really sort of got the thing off the ground again. So we've you know he's organised a venue, uh, he's putting together a program. I'm helping him a little bit with that. Um, and we're going to rejuvenate it. And I think with the marketing, I think we've already got something like 70 or 80 people booked to come. Uh, and we haven't published a program yet. So uh, I think there's a lot of pent up <laughs> demand for the TLF to come back. It, it is, it is, uh, sorry, it isn't a testing focused uh, uh, meetup, if you like. But 50% of the people who come are testers and probably another 25% are ex-testers. So we have our, that that network is uh, largely drawn from the testing community. But we also have a lot of people who have an interest in um, assurance and leadership uh, and delivery. So we get project managers, we get stakeholders coming along, uh, folk uh, in the uh, business analysis kind of community as well, data scientists, all sorts of people who are involved in delivery, and we try and talk about issues that are to do with delivery, not just testing, that's the thing. Uh, so uh, I, I I think we haven't got a date yet, I think it's going to be uh, July, um, later in July, maybe the third week of July, I think we're aiming out, and hopefully it'll kick off again. Uh, and the connection with the society is a society, ostensibly, will have um, some maybe many um uh, special interest groups or focus groups, and this will be one and this will be probably one of the biggest uh, because of its kind of uh, scope. Uh, but I expect uh, what we're trying to do is use this as, as part of the of the of the restart of the TLF but also to bring it into the the fold of the uh, engineering Society, test Engineering Society.
0: Right, I'll look forward to that. Uh, hopefully, I can get to wherever it is. I assume it's—is it going to be London based or yeah, yeah. Macclesfield based? I, or? No, it's not. <laughs> the centre of the world,
1: Macclesfield. No, no, um, it's in London. Uh, I, I, uh, I do have the details somewhere, but it's not signed off yet. But uh, we, we, we've, we've got a venue, I believe, already, and it's very good. It looks very slick. There's a big open area. For a kind of a plenary session and then there are four breakout rooms so it's it's going to be like a, and we're going to run it uh later in the day so kick off at four o'clock not two so give people time to get there so they don't lose too much time out of work uh so so we're going to try it out again uh see how it flies uh but i'm really optimistic i think um i think there's a a demand for it i
0: really do mm, i'll look forward to that so i'm just aware that we've been talking for quite a while here. So. A couple of questions just to wrap up. First off, what three books would you recommend? What three books do you say everybody's <laughs> got to read that's in this field?
1: Oh, good heavens. Well, it's changed over time. It's it, it you know, so 30 years ago it would have been. Um, I'm just looking at it to my shelf now. <laughs> um what's it called? Well, Bézier. The art of software, art of software <laughs> testing. Uh, Probably the uh, testing computer software, Ken Kaner's book, whatever. Now, now, and and so on. Um, But it's moved on now. And now, if you look at, if you do a search for testing books, there are hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, Three books. I'll be a bit arrogant and say, uh, look at a copy of my little book, the little black book. Um, uh, Can I go and get one? That one. If you meet me and and you give me a nudge, I'll give you one for free, okay? So, you know, it's a freebie. Uh, It's not very long, uh, but it it summarizes a lot of the concepts of what we do with regards to thinking. So I would push that one a little bit. Um, uh, The test is pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. It's got like 16 axioms, 16 things that I think are always true. uh, And that these are fundamental. These are the pillars of what we do. Um, What would be another one? I think, ooh, you see, books are different than they used to be. Now people don't have the same attitude to books; they buy them and never read them. Whereas, yeah. I, I think you'd get you, you could do a lot, a lot worse than look at Boris Beiser's books, uh, "Software Test Techniques," because his stories are great, his, and and the stories that he comes up with, and they're probably dating from the seventies and eighties, are just as relevant now because it's a it's a human problem. So we, we don't testing isn't I mean, software isn't a technological problem. It's a human problem, mostly, because we have to communicate this and the other. So I I would say um, Software Test Techniques by Boris Beiser. Uh, If I had more time to think about it, because you just dropped it on me, I I might look at it a bit differently. I think something on systems thinking. Um, I'm a fan of uh, Peter Checkland, uh, as an example, um, who wrote... this book a long time ago uh i think it was the 80s I was written um and and there's other books but I, I would go down the systems thinking route rather than the general systems theory route which some people promote um systems thinking is about problem solving uh general systems theory is about solving life the world and everything it's it's way am- more ambitious yeah and-
0: i can see you've got the better. fifth discipline behind you so
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's the other one. Uh, that's a that's a good one. But something on system thinking. I wouldn't. I, I, I that was the first book I read. That one, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's why I mention it. I'm looking at my bookshelf now. My bookshelf is actually not behind me because that's a green screen. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking over here. I don't know. I I'd, I'd, I'd probably leave it at that uh, because I'm something on critical thinking. You know.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: Test, test design is important uh maybe kem kane's book on domain domain testing which is a big book but you'd recognize that this is a serious topic you know there's a yeah. lot to learn you know even something as simple as it couldn't boundary values uh domain testing as it might be called uh yeah you can easily write a, an inch thick book on that it's a big subject our discipline Right. And, You've called out
0: some really good books there, so I'll, I'll put some links into the, the, the notes of the podcast too so that they can be referenced by anybody listening yeah. to it. Um, so one last question before we wrap up. <laughs> What's the weirdest bug you've ever found? Oh, the
1: weirdest? Oh, God. Um, not weird. I, is it, again... I, If you gave me time to think about it, I could probably fish something out from the the archives. But kind of the funniest bug was, uh, we were doing some performance testing. And overnight, um, performance went from not great, but not bad, to absolutely abysmal, taking taking minutes and minutes to do anything. And uh, it took a while to figure out what had happened. But it turned out that uh, there was a restore of the database overnight. And in order to uh, load all the data, this is in the days, well, before, I mean, maybe things weren't as good in those days. It's 25 years ago now. But in the restore, the DBA took all the indexes off and loaded them separately, but he forgot to load the indexes. So in effect, the database went from an indexed database to a flat file database, so there were no indexes. So all the searches were whole table searches. All the lookups were whole tables. So, you know, and it was kind of, it caused absolute horror in the project because everyone thought, oh my God, we've done something really disastrous here. Uh, But it was a DBA who just made a slip in uh, in the restoration of a database um I'm, i can probably think of others but i sorry I, right now i can't
0: <laughs> i'm sure we'll be swapping some more in, in the future because there's plenty of subjects that uh, we've mentioned along the way that i i really want to talk to you more about yeah, but, uh, yeah. for the moment uh, i think we'll wrap it up there so thank you very much for your time it's my pleasure <laughs> and we'll speak again i hope so So thank you to Paul Gerrard and thank you for listening. Check out the show notes for the links mentioned and join us next time for more quality conversation about quality on Quality Blether.